0: got the gist of the message, and uh, we really do want to encourage you to be early, uh, park far away, make space, and uh, come with a guest, invite many, and uh, we're looking forward to having a full house, to have our entire family together, and uh, just fill in the house to worship the Lord. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30 as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. Uh, How about those Oregon ducks? You know, the irony is, this morning, the message comes out of Genesis chapter 30. And you'll see in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1, the main, the main emphasis, Rachel has envy for her sister Leah. And so there is a colloquialism, green with envy. And there are a number of Kansas basketball players uh, that probably have a little bit of green envy today. But anyway, uh, Final Four, first time in about 70 plus, 78 years, something like that. So if you're an Oregon Duck fan, congratulations. Uh, If you're a Gonzaga fan, congratulations. If you're uh, someone else and not one of the Final Four, sorry, maybe next year. (laughs) Uh, I would suppose also that it's a little bit, of irony if you have been paying attention to uh, college basketball in that one of the main things that brings about envy is competition, a competitiveness between people, and that really comes about as a result of a comparison, and that really all uh, comes down from looking at others what others have, taking assessment of what we do or do not have, and we make comparison. It really has probably its deepest root in what is known as covetousness. And uh, when we see something that someone else has and we desire it, and because we don't have it, we wish ill upon those who do. And so we're going to be looking at covetousness, I uh, excuse me, at and. Uh, Envy, Shakespeare called it the green sickness, the green sickness, and it was in a play, Anthony and Cleopatra. He also coined uh, the jealousy phrase as well, that is the green-eyed monster, and really envy and jealousy are very closely related to one another. I'll explain the difference uh, in just a moment, but uh, what can it be? What can it be? green with envy, the green-eyed monster. What is this? The Old Testament has several examples of green sickness. And we're going to be looking at one very specific today between two sisters who also are married to the same man. Now, I could spend a little bit more time explaining their cultural Scenarios associated with the marriage of these two sisters. We've spent a considerable amount of time leading up to this morning, so I won't do that this morning. Just suffice it to say, there is some cultural things, and just because something was happening in the culture of the children of God, the chosen people, it doesn't mean that it was condoned by God. Everybody understand that? Just because it's practiced doesn't mean it's condoned. The same goes for the Church of Jesus Christ today. Just because certain things seem to be condoned or practiced, it doesn't necessarily mean they're biblical and God-ordained and God-blessed. Does everybody recognize that? We, as followers of Christ, individually are responsible and collectively, as a body of Christ, we are responsible That the Word of God would be our rule of faith and conduct. We would look at this as the authority in our lives. Can I get an amen? When our lives individually are not consistent with what the Word of God says, uh, something needs to change. And that thing that needs to change is not the Word of God. It's our behavior. It's our thought process. And so... We avail ourselves that the washing of the water of the word of God would instruct us, would encourage us, would inspire us to change, to be transformed from the inside out. And so, let's look at this portion of scripture, Genesis chapter 30, and as we begin to read, remember... Just in the preceding chapter, chapter 29, at the tail end of 29, God looked upon these two sisters, saw that one was loved and one was not. And God opened the womb, Leah. And she, in the process of likely four years, gave birth to four sons. We don't have the exact timeline. But she gave birth to son after son after son, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. In fact, when she named Judah, she named him, the name means praise. She was rejoicing, for she thought in her heart, surely my husband will love me and show me favor now. And so we come into chapter 30, verse 1, let's. Weed together. You can follow along. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Again, this is a cultural practice of the day. It didn't necessarily mean this was God's plan, design, will, or his condoning. A practice. If a woman was barren, she had a maid servant, she could give her maidservant to her husband, he would take her, if you will, as a wife, and when she would bear a child, the child would be born onto the legs of the first or the the barren wife, and that child would be her child, and she would raise that child as her own. Aren't you thankful? That that's not a cultural thing we're doing today. (laughs) Can I get an amen, amen. All right. Uh, Then she gave him uh, Bilhah, her maid, verse 4, as wife, and Jacob went into her. Now notice it says as wife. This is a polygamous scenario. And Bilhah, verse 5, conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has also heard my voice and given me a son therefore she called his name dan dan means judge so god had judged her case and rachel made bilhah uh, conceive uh, rachel's maid bilhah conceived again and bore jacob a second son then rachel said with great wrestling i have wrestled with my sister highlight right there great wrestling i have wrestled with my sister you can see that there is in the midst of this relationship, there is a vying for affection, vying for position, vying for. And they're striving against one another and thus envy. She says, I have, uh, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah... Saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And Leah's maid, uh, Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now, Reuben, the firstborn of Leah, went in those days. Now, keep in mind that at this time, Reuben's probably six, seven years old. And so Jacob's got all these kids running around, but there hasn't been a whole lot of time transpiring. And so he's a, he's a youngin, and he's running out, and he's out in the wheat harvest, and he found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your, man- your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? pause there for a moment. Remember the little wrestlings and the vying of position? Who was given to Jacob, even though it was deceitful by his uncle Laban, by his father-in-law, it was deceit. But who was given first? Leah, the oldest. And so Jacob was rightfully her husband. And she's now saying, look. Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Just by way of understanding, mandrakes during these days were thought to be a kind of fertility drug or having some components of fertility in them. As well as potentially even being an aphrodisiac, so somehow this was supposed to help Rachel uh, in the process. Leah knowing these things, she says, "Hey, are you also going to take my son's mandrakes?" And this is when it gets even more sordid. When you, if you look at your family and you think, "Man, my family's somewhat dysfunctional," well, good news because when we look at this family, we can say. There's some serious dysfunction, and at least we can have a little bit of relief when we say, Hey, there's hope for me as well. There's hope for us <laughs> as well. She says, Will you take uh, my son's mandrake also? Verse 15. And Rachel said, Therefore, uh, excuse me, she said, uh, Would you, verse 15, let's begin at the beginning. She said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken my uh, husband, taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So now she's bartering her husband and time in the bedroom, so to speak. Hey, he'll lie with you tonight. He'll sleep in your tent tonight if you give me some of those mandrakes. So she's negotiating. This is kind of like uh, the first mention of someone kind of being a pimp. In the Bible, think about, I mean, think about, this is convoluted. This is convoluted. So, verse 16, when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. (laughs) I mean, Are you feeling kind of creepy about this whole thing? This is just sordid. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah. She conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me, because I have bore him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And Dinah will become an important figure in a few chapters as you read ahead. You'll, you'll see the story there and here, and we'll, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. Uh, then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So this is actually Rachel's first son by her own womb, if you will. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Let's stop there. Father, in the next few moments, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, pray, Father, today that there would be liberty. For every one of us, every one of us who perhaps have struggled with our own identity, our own position in life, our lot in life, so to speak, we've looked at others and compared and felt less as a result. Father, I pray that there would be liberty from that in the name of Jesus, that that which comes from the sinful nature would be put to death and that we would live upright and we would live free from the bondage of really self-deceit, God. So help, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. So here we have this example for us in Genesis chapter 30. These two sisters, they're striving against and striving with one another. One has something that the other wants. Leah wants what Rachel has. What does Rachel have? Rachel has Jacob's affection. Jacob's attention, Jacob's undivided love. Leah has something Rachel wants. She has an open womb, so to speak. She's producing male children. Rachel's womb is barren. And so there is this striving between these two sisters. Now let me make note of the difference between envy and jealousy first to start. And I would call these kind of the evil twins. I think it's in James in the New Testament that he refers to envy and jealousy. And they really are workings of the sinful nature. But let me make mention for us that jealousy is different in that jealousy can be both positive and negative. Its root word comes from the same root word that we find the word in scripture is zealous. Our Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 20 that God himself is a jealous God. That is in a very positive sense. Now, for our understanding and our understanding of the vernacular and the English language, if you will, oftentimes we will attribute the negative first. But I want you to know, our God is a jealous God. And that is a very good thing for us. Let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, God wants to bless you and I abundantly. Can I get an amen? God loves us. God loves you and I individually. He placed value on each of us. And the value that He placed on each one of us is Himself. You see, Jesus Christ came and He lived the sinless life as man. And He went to the cross at Calvary shedding his own blood, dying in our place. It's a substitutionary death that in him we need not die. Now, I don't mean that we need not die physically. I mean that we need not spend eternity separated from God. God placed such high value on your life, who you are uniquely and individually. His own life. He died at... Scarcely will a man die for another. Scarcely will a man die for a righteous man, let alone someone who is not righteous. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's fascinating and that's encouraging. And so for each one of us, this is inspiring. God loves us. So the jealousy piece, it is positive when it comes to God. God wants to bless. The problem is you and I, often by our decisions or our choices, we position ourselves away from the blessings of God. And therefore, his longing for us is zealous that we would not position ourselves under some other realm of quote-unquote less blessing he wants us to be over here under his umbrella of great blessing does that make sense so he's jealous for us so that he can give us really himself and all of the blessings that are his that's that's good news for you and i so lord help us to make good choices amen amen Amen, okay well, there's a couple other classic stories that uh, you could look at in your Bible. I'll just make note of these, and you'll see that there's a consistency with this uh, uh, idea of envy. Uh, I mentioned. Let me let me go, let me backtrack for a moment. So that's jealousy. Envy, on the other hand, is always negative. It's always negative. In fact, Proverbs. Uh, Pastor Matt uh, quoted that proverb early in the service. Uh, Proverbs 14:30. It really is. It's corruption. To the core. Envy is corruption to the core, and it's always in the negative sense. So, uh, the reality for each of us, envy is something that on one occasion or another, we have dealt with. The scripture tells us that it is part of our sinful nature. In fact, Paul, writing to the churches in the providence of Galatia, says In chapter 5, that it is one of the acts of the sinful nature, envyings. And he says it's obvious. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and one of those being envy. It is also uh, noteworthy, I think it's. listing of one of the seven deadly sins, if you will, which is has its origin out of the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the word of God. In Proverbs chapter 6, its description of envy is this, a heart that devises wicked plans. The heart that devises wicked plans. Now, it really is diametrically opposed to God's love if you put that portion Proverbs 16 verses 16 through 19 and you brought over 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this magnanimous love chapter you would see that the very second statement I believe in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is love does not envy and over here it shows the diametrically opposed size it's devising wicked plans over here in 1 Corinthians it says love thinks no evil No ill. So you see this contrast, one coming from the sinful nature, one coming from the very descriptive word, God is love. And so we have, because we are born with a sinful nature, at one time or another, we have dealt with envy. I know in my own personal life, Many different times I have been envious. I have seen advantages that others have had. I wished I had those advantages, but because I didn't and they did, I thought ill or wished ill upon them. Now, lest you think I'm somewhere out in left field, think about the last time you were on the freeway and the other lane was moving faster than yours and you were in a hurry. And some guy decides to cut in, and he makes his way. He passes you, then cuts off and slows you down or whatever. We see an advantage. He's now in front of me. I didn't want this guy to get in front of me. Or maybe it was at a red light, and this guy, you know, he's pulled up next to you. And he starts to inch forward before the light turns green. And somehow we're like, well, that's not fair. And so we maybe nudge up a little further next to him. And then the light changes, and a car turns right in front of us, and we're like, no, and this guy zooms ahead. Like, we, we think that way, and, it's and, and if you don't do that on the road, God bless you. I need to learn from you. <laughs> but it's, it's in many areas of our life, and it's common to man. And so the emotion, our fallen human nature, Envy unrestrained. Unrestrained. In other words, if I acknowledge it in my life, and I see it in my life, but I do nothing about it, and it's unfettered, not pulling in the reins, so to speak, envy unrestrained can become a dominance in our life. And it will definitively warp our perspectives and will view people inordinately, and without love, and very selfish. And so, it will impede our spiritual growth. So, what can it be? The evil monster, the green thing, it's called envy. Now, Really quickly what causes envy well we see in the narrative today there is a competition between two sisters unless you think or I think that it began at the wedding night remember earlier in the description of the two sisters tells us when Jacob saw Rachel at the well that there was something working in him already. We get this picture there's something working there. He had only spent one month in the house of Laban and the Bible tells us that he loved Rachel. It tells us that Leah was delicate. She had delicate eyes but Rachel was beautiful in both form and fashion if you will. Many commentators have basically said, you know, Leah was probably not so easy on the eyes. That's what that's trying to say. And it's very probable that both young ladies or both ladies were beyond the age of expectancy to find a husband. That's maybe why Laban did the old switcheroo and got Leah in there first, because he was concerned, hey, she's going to be my responsibility if I don't get her married off. So you can imagine this competition, one potentially with a certain amount of beauty, and another with something that's different in terms of beauty. Now, we can land the plane a little bit for us today. In many ways, that's where envy works in us. It has to do with the way we look. Maybe it's our body type. Whatever, it's an external thing. Somehow we have fallen into a culture where Hollywood is prescribing what is beauty. Is that Hollywood's job? No. Has God ever made a mistake? God made you and I uniquely you and I. We ought not strive to be someone else. We ought not strive to look like someone else. We ought not compare ourselves to another. It creates conflict. It creates envy. So what can cause it? In our scenario, it starts with the girls and they're growing up, the way they look perhaps. Certainly, in the narrative, it is the vying for what one has and the other doesn't have. And they view, Rachel views Leah as having an advantage. She's producing boys. In that culture, to be barren is to be a reproach. She was societally disdained because she could not have children, let alone male children. And so she sees Leah as having an advantage that she wished she had. On the other hand, Leah sees an advantage that Rachel has. Rachel, because she's beautiful and it was love at first sight, she has Jacob's heart. Oh, what does it feel like to be unloved? Leah. Heart. Ailing. As a result, sees an advantage her sister. And so there's this Covetousness, inordinately or wrong desirous of something that another has. Comparison. So there's covetousness, comparison. And let me, let me say this. One, of, one scripture that uh, back in my days of playing football at Portland State, I remembered God speaking to my heart because one of the things that we did as linemen, linemen, you know, we don't get much glory. They realize that in the football arena, linemen get really no no attention. It's generally the quarterbacks and the running backs. And oftentimes at Portland State, they were in the weight rooms, you know, doing this and it was curls for the girls. And we were like, ah, uh, if we could just get a little attention. But so what we did was we created little competitions between one another, like who can bench press more, or who can squat more, or who can do more lunge squats with l- more plates. In fact, so much so that. W- Occasionally, when we were doing heavier lifts, we'd put a little bit of space between the weights so that when you locked your arms out, the weights would make noise. (laughs) We wanted a little attention, right? So we were hoping to get some. And we literally began to envy. We envied things like how fast you ran the 40-yard dash. I mean, most of us needed a calendar to get there. (laughs) We would talk about, you know, each other's shapes, and we 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 would literally degrade another to somehow bolster our position and our thoughts. And I'm thinking, God, what is the deal? And God spoke to me out of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4. And it says, and it's paraphrased, but each one should look at his himself, look at himself and take pride in the right sense of the word pride in himself. The NIV says it this way, not comparing himself to another not comparing himself. That's a a big thing. How do I begin to solve if there's some envy working in me? Have I gotten into a comparison game? On the material side of things, the colloquial or the cliche, keeping up with the Joneses, That's come into being a statement or a cliche because of the idea of comparing. Comparing. So, there's somewhat of human nature in that comparison. Well, let me come to the next one, competition. Competition, it's consuming. And in today's society, I, I coached for many, many years, and We inspire competition in the coaching arena. But it can have such an impact if it's unfettered and if it's not in proper perspective. Good sportsmanship will be out the door because guys will be looking for an advantage. I I, I mean, I remember playing at my junior college and in, in football at my junior college, guys tried to injure other players so that they could get positions. I mean, it will cause people to do things and behaviors that are very unbecoming. Envy will open the door for us to say things about other people. Perhaps pass on information that isn't ours to pass on to talk about others in a negative disposition. So, It is interesting that when we read scripture and we see in a narrative, we see this disposition, we're like, well, yeah, duh, I can see that, it makes sense, yes, yes, yes. But what about reflecting back? What about looking in the mirror? Is it, are we more readily to see in our own lives where these things may be working? There's no question in my mind that if I asked you this morning, does everybody want to grow in your spiritual life? Do we want to mature in the Lord? I think we just kind of, everybody's head would nod and say, yeah. But the reality of envy at any measure in our lives, it will impede our spiritual growth. It's difficult for us to recognize envy in our own lives, oftentimes. And so, <laughs> the next point: What could I contain it? Could this be in me? Well, perhaps. Do I have a case of green sickness? Uh, do I have envy or envious types of emotion working in me? Well, here's a here's a quick. Lipness test. Here's a quick uh, set of questions, and I think I have the questions up on the board. Uh, who's at the computer? John, you're at the computer back there. Uh, let's bring them up. Do you work extremely hard to come out looking good? Do you examine others with a critical eye? Do you have hidden feelings of inferiority? Like somehow. You start out with thinking that you're less than the person next to you, so to speak. You have a self-deprivating mental disposition. Do you complain about not getting fair treatment? Do you have an insatiable desire for success or more? Do you need a lot of recognition for your achievements? Is it hard for you to celebrate others' successes? (laughs) When you see someone else do good, and you're like, man, it's always the other guy, right? Okay. Uh, Do you struggle with others' blessings, whether material, physical, emotional, or socially? Think about high school. For some of us, that might be difficult to remember. Don't envy your neighbor who might have a better c- ability to remember. Now I'm teasing, but remember what it was like in high school. Popularity. That was a thing. Oh, that I would be part of the in crowd, or whatever. And we, we get, we begin to look at the external things. Oh, if my parents just had a better job and more money, I could buy clothes that would, you know, whatever. Meet the Standard of cool. I I was probably very uncool in high school. (laughs) I will say this though I was, because I wanted to be like the fawns. How many of you remember Happy Days? I wanted to be like the fawns. And so I remember at my high school, listen, some of you will remember this is like late 70s, early 80s, okay? How many of you remember Britannica jeans? Bell-bottoms, I mean, they were, they were the cool jeans. We didn't have, at my house, we didn't go to the, I think it was the Gap or some other store back in the day, and we didn't have, bell- I didn't have bell-bottoms at my house. My parents bought the cheap jeans, and that day, the cheap jeans were 501 button fly straight leg jeans, the working man's jeans. So here I am, walking around school in my 501s, tight leg, button fly jeans, and my cool t-shirt, you know, I was like, hey, I'm the Fonz, hey. <laughs> anyway, little did I know that those jeans, within about three years, were going to become the in thing, so I was actually kind of a trendsetter. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <too laughs> but the idea there is we get, this, we get this looking at someone else's, what they have and what we don't. Sometimes it's just in the scale of beauty externally the assets that god has given us you think oh if i was only as fit as him or if i was only as beautiful as her if my hair was only that color or if i had hair or <laughs> you, you know what i'm talking about right I and mean, this this is real Strikes a chord. It's because we oftentimes look in the wrong place. And we look at the wrong stuff. And my encouragement to you today is to be free from that. To be free from that. God can set us free from the wrong standards that produce envy. Okay? So, a couple other questions that might identify a little envy potentially working in you do you tend to be status conscious do you find it hard to pay compliments to others do you keep score of your own good deeds and those of others or the lack of others are you willing to pass along negative rumors about a successful person do you put on a false front in order to appear impressive? Think about that for a moment. Do we put on a false front publicly to be impressive? Right? It's been said in church. In fact, people have complained outside of church I don't go to church because of the hypocrisy within church. Hypocrisy is an old Greek word that basi- basically means. Theater actor, someone who portrays something else publicly. In the church, I and mean that ought not be. If we're if we're pretending to be something else, we're not genuine. We ought not do that. Can I get a heartfelt amen? That's, that's, that's real. Because here, here here's what it does. It gives a false impression. And it it could produce in someone else envy, because they're wanting to be what you're pretending to be, but that's not really who you are. And is it wrong for them? Sure, but it's wrong for you as well. It's wrong for me if I do that. Wouldn't it be great? I think it is great that we can simply be ourselves impress each other is there anybody here who has it going on i mean like you're like you got it going on oh good we're all in the same boat <laughs> there really isn't a one of us who has it really going on outside of the fact that we have christ in our life because our faith is in jesus christ amen and we all have that in common thanks be to god if your faith is in him let's not put on that false front. Let's not wear masks. Do you base your self-image on performance? Those are just some questions. If you've answered yes to any of these questions, to any degree, there's a possibility that that part of our sinful nature may be showing its head. And so what do we do? How do we fix? And now we're going to look at just a couple of quick things that can cure envy in our lives. Number one, I think we need to recognize it. We just took the self-test. If you've recognized it, you're in good company. You're in good company. If we took a show of hands this morning, there'd be a lot of hands. So acknowledge it. Envy is part of the sinful nature. Galatians chapter 5 already told us that. So all we have to do is say, Lord, I recognize that I have the capacity to have envy working in my life. I have the capacity. And I've given some energy to that capacity whatever measure that you struggle with one of those questions, if you will. Confess it. The Bible says, confess your sins one to to another that you what? May be healed. Right. The remedy. The scripture says, hey, if it's real, don't deny it. Don't deny it. But if we confess it, God will help and bring healing in our lives so that we can overcome sinful nature, our flesh. If there's conviction in your life, will you obey the Lord? Just, yes, Lord, it's there. I I feel like conviction and confession is all kind of tied up together. And we talked about coming under the submission to the authority of the Word of God. And so if God's pointing it out to us, say, yes! So let's choose out. If we If we harbor, we're going to suffer. But rather, if we hunger for that which is right, God will give us strength to come out. God will take us out of miry clay and set our feet upon the rocks. We need to keep perspective. The Scripture calls us in Hebrews chapter 12 to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith beauty is not a one of us here has our faith finished, right? We're still in our journey. And so thanks be to God. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus did not struggle with envy. In fact, Jesus is diametrically opposed to envy. God is love, the word says. God is love. So let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. Let's discover what it's like to celebrate with others in a greater measure. The Bible says Rejoice with those that rejoice. If any level of envy has prevented you from rejoicing when good things happen to others, go to discover the joy of simply celebrating with others. You know, the Bible says, if we celebrate calamity when calamity comes upon another person, the scripture warns us and says... Be careful lest that calamity befalls you. The Lord sees your rejoicing and turns the calamity to you. I don't want to learn that lesson. Anybody else want to learn that lesson? No, thank you. So let's really learn to rejoice. And if there's someone going through calamity, let's even if we view them because envy has distorted us, let's pray with them and pray for them and identify with them. Does that make sense? begin to see that transformation and love working in our lives. I think if we set our minds and our hearts on things above, Paul writing to the church of Colossus in chapter 3 and verse 1, set your mind, set your heart on things above where Christ is. Hey, how about let's be heavenly minded, right? Let's be kingdom minded and not earthly minded in that. And let's walk in love. Again, Paul says a very keen thing. He says, I've discovered the secret. The secret is contentment with godliness. Contentment with godliness. When there's contentment, it it really is lacking of comparison to another. It's me and God. Me and God and I can find contentment in the circumstances and the situations that I am in when I don't compare myself to another, and that's healthy. In relationship to love, it would be good for us to learn to give and not get. It would be helpful if we learned to be gracious and not garnering. When we hold things against people, we garner their wages, so to speak. We, we put expectations and we, we take from rather than give. So let's be gracious. Let's learn to bear godly fruit and not grody fruit. Godly, not grody. Um, let's grow in love. Let's grow in God's agape love. It's unconditional. If when I... Those potential scenarios, if you were here and you said, Yeah, that's me. Yes, that's me. Even if on a scale of 1 to 10, it was down on the lower end, minus in that under 5. Maybe it's in the over 5. Wherever you may land, if there's been envy in your life, will you today find liberty in the Lord that will help us grow and mature spiritually? It will help our love with inside the fellowship as well as our love outside the fellowship. The Bible says live with, tho- live with wisdom towards those who may be outside the kingdom of God, that they might see Christ in us, the hope of glory, redeeming the time. Time is short that we would be representation of Christ to a world that desperately needs him, let alone within the church where People need to see Jesus in us. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, hey, I do see Jesus in you. Go for it. Yeah, amen. Amen. So let's do this. Will you stand with me this morning? Stand with me this morning. I am thankful today that it's Afterglow Sunday. It's an opportunity for all of us to go fellowship. Here's really good news. We don't have to tear church down today. It's <laughs> spring break. <Yeah. laughs> it legitimately means that right now when we close and we respond to the Lord, that when we pray, we can fellowship for a few minutes, but we can just migrate up to Godfather's Pizza. I don't know if you saw it in the little video up here that was like uh, a bad Chinese Kung Fu movie or something. Uh but today is Godfather Godfather's Pizza last day of business. They're closing. And they wanted to remain open for our last afterglow. Right? That's so cool. Yeah. So we've been, we've been going there for several years the last Sunday of every month. And we want to be a blessing to them. And we want to fill every booth. And we want to just... Abundantly bless them with the presence of God. And we bring the presence of the Lord with us. (laughs) So let's respond to the Lord. (laughs) Because all of us would like to put to death the deeds of the flesh in a greater measure. Amen? Amen. If envy, at any degree, has been working in your life, And you'd say, humbly, PD, I'd like to just see God help me with that. Will you just raise your hand and say, that's me, remember me. Lots of hands, yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come humbly before you and yet boldly to the throne of grace. Your word says come in a new and living way, boldly to the throne of grace. So, Lord, we approach. Our humbleness is, Lord, that we are fallible and we're susceptible to our fallen nature. There's sin in our lives. Your word says confess your sin. Even by raising hands, we were making confession. We are acknowledging the conviction in our own hearts, and we are uh, confessing, God, we need your help. Will you do that work in our lives? Father, this morning as we confess, thank you for your promise that says that you are faithful and just. You will forgive us of our sin and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, will you cleanse? Thank you that we are justified in your sight. We have been washed in the blood of Jesus if our faith is in Christ today. And so Lord, we stand justified and yet we deal with this called sanctification, where, Lord, we kind of hash out the life that once was after the flesh, and the life after the spirit, and they're diametrically opposed, and we, God, we want to walk in the spirit, and so not, Lord, give in to the flesh. Help us, Lord, to walk in victory, to bring thoughts captive in Christ, that, Father, love would be the core of what transpires in our relationship. So, Lord, help us. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your prompting. And thank you for your word. Now, Lord, will you bless and will, may we just receive your benediction as we go from this place today. God, may your name be exalted. May your word be that authority in our lives that we are simply surrendering ourselves to. And, Father, may you be glorified in all that we do. Go with us. If there is one here who says, I want my faith in Jesus Christ today we just take this last moment and with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you would like to know that your sins are forgiven and have that same power that we've talked about today over our carnal nature, over our sinful nature, and you'd say, I want to know my sin is forgiven, and you'd like to dedicate your life to the Lord, would you indicate that to me simply by raising your hand where you're at and say, remember me this morning when you pray. Is there a hand? I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. I see that one bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm just going to look. Father, we pray for these few that have raised their hand, and we simply say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Your word says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God you raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Let's say that together. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Father, we rejoice today, and we welcome these to the family, and We thank you, God, for your work in our hearts and in our lives, transforming us and routing out envy and replacing it with love. Be glorified, Lord, and may you bless our time. For those who can make it up to the pizza place, may we have a great time there, loving on each other and loving on the staff and eating some good food. We love you and ask your blessing and benediction in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. 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 Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless you.